Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is Reset. Informed citizens make for a healthy democracy. And we're now less than two weeks away from the Illinois primary. So we've got some voting-related conversations for you today. In just a bit, we'll tell you everything you need to know about that tight house race in the state's third district. But first, if you're a Cook County voter, you'll have a ballot filled with judicial candidates. Problem is, these people don't usually run ads, and they don't have a lot of name recognition. So how do you know where you should put your vote? In Justice Watch to the Rescue. They're a criminal and social justice reporting nonprofit, and they've created an interactive guide for Cook County voters. Joining me now for more on his organization's 2020 Judicial Election Guide is Injustice Watch editor Jonah Newman. Jonah, welcome to Reset. Thank you so much for having me. So first, talk about how the voting guide came together and what type of information is included. Yeah, so this is a project we've been doing for uh, the last several election cycles at Injustice Watch. Um, We recognized that there was an information sort of whole gap when it came to judicial elections. And so we go in depth on, on candidates. We research their bios. We look into past controversies or potential issues. We collect the ratings that the various uh, bar associations put together and we put all that in, in an easy to use guide that you can get online. And why should people be paying so much attention to these races? You know, judges have a lot of power in our uh, society. They you know, make decisions, obviously, in criminal court about people's guilt and innocence and about prison sentences. They decide whether you get a traffic ticket or, or you know, let go. They decide whether people uh, are evicted from their homes or whether kids should be taken away from, from their parents. So, you know, I think they play a really important role. Circuit court judges, once elected, serve six-year terms and then uh, are up for retention. Um, and so once you're on the bench, it's pretty easy to stay on the bench. And so I think um, these primaries are, are, you know, important to watch. So there are more than 100 candidates vying for 37 positions this year, but nearly all the candidates run as Democrats. Why is that? You know, we're Cook County. We're a heavily Democratic county and and city. And the Democratic Party, you know, although it may not be the machine that it used to be, still carries quite a a bit of weight. And so um, when it comes to uh, judicial races, most people run as as Democrats. So I want you to break down the difference between uh, the Supreme Court, appellate court and circuit court, because we have races in each of those courts. Yeah. So we have a a rare open seat on the Illinois Supreme Court. The Supreme Court has seven justices. Three of them are elected from Cook County. Um, They're elected actually for 10 year terms. And so um, we have a a rare opening now for the actually first seat ever held by a person of color on the Illinois Supreme Court. So um, there's some interesting dynamics uh, at play in in that race. There are two open appellate court seats uh, for Cook County voters. And then, like you said, there's another 34 uh, circuit court uh, vacancies that are open. Some of those vacancies are countywide. So anyone in the county will will vote for those judges. Some of them are for judicial sub-circuits. Cook County is divided into 15 judicial districts, basically. And you may see some of those sub-circuit races on your ballot as well. But once elected, sub-circuit and countywide uh, circuit court judges all play the same role on the bench. And in terms of how we interact with each of those courts, with the circuit court and the appellate court and the Supreme Court, just explain that. Sure. So, of course, you know, circuit court judges are kind of the judges that, that most people, you know, think of and see on a, on a day-to-day, you know, basis if you interact with the, the court system at all. They're the judges who preside over criminal trials or civil trials. They're the ones who, again, like I mentioned before, are in, you know, eviction courts and, and child uh, custody courts. Appellate court judges hear appeals from those circuit courts, so they'll decide if the original circuit court judge followed the law or, you know, if there were any 
issues in, in the case that, that maybe you know, need a higher level of review. And then, of course, the Supreme Court sees the fewest cases, but um, the ones that are really have issues of law um, or you know, state constitutional issues at, at play. So what are the, some of the most competitive races on the ballot this year? So I think the the Supreme Court race is definitely one to watch. Again, you know, as you mentioned, it's it's the seat that was formerly held by Charles Freeman. Um, it is a seat that was held by a person of color for the first time, and and so there's um, you know some some racial dynamics there. There's also a, a lot of money being poured into that race, uh, in particular from uh, one candidate, Shelley Harris, who's who's poured I think almost two million uh, of his own dollars uh, into that race. So you probably have seen ads for him on TV, which is where a lot of that money is going. But so I think that'll be an interesting race race to watch again because it's rare to have a, an open seat like that on the Supreme Court. So I'm going to get into how you collected information on the candidates. What questions did you ask? Most of the information comes from, you know, diving into their um, their bios, their past experience, uh, looking at their campaign websites, looking into issues, you know, have they ever been sued before? Are, you know, have they ever been disciplined by the state board that, that disciplines attorneys? Um, we've looked at, again, those bar association ratings. So um, there's a about a dozen bar associations in in uh, Cook County that issue ratings. We we focus on on three of them, um, and they they do actually surveys of other attorneys and judges and and ask whether what their perceptions of if they've worked with this person before. You know if they feel like they have the the temperament and, and qualities and experience to be a judge. So we gather that information as well. What are the most important factors to consider when voting to elect judges? Again, you should look at their experience. I think those bar association ratings are are a pretty good barometer of you know whether they have been in the courtroom, done trial work, if they um, have been an attorney for, you know, a a long enough period of time to to really get the lay of the land. You know, and and I think looking at at someone's past experience as well, uh, you know, for some people, it it matters whether someone's been a prosecutor or a public defender. So we've noted that. Obviously, the Democratic Party provides their endorsements, and and there are other groups that that endorse candidates as well. And we've included some of those in the guide as well. So some of the labor organizations uh, will also issue their recommendations. Well, as we've been mentioning, the primary election takes place on March 17th, which is also St. Patrick's Day. And and it turns out candidates with Irish-sounding female names have a proven statistical advantage. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, so it's, uh, you know, a, a Cook County quirk, I guess. Um, and, and I think it is partly because these uh, races are often sort of low information races, right? There's so many candidates. Um, historically, uh, until we started doing this guide, there there wasn't another news organization that was really giving, you know, doing a deep dive into these candidates' backgrounds and, and uh, qualifications. And so people vote based on, you know, ethnic or racial affinities um, or other kind of perceived things based on, on candidates' names. And so, um, yeah, there is a, a history in Cook County of, of female Irish-sounding candidates doing particularly well. And um, one of our reporters, John Cecily, uncovered uh, an even more quirky, uh, if you will, um, phenomenon of sometimes the Democratic Party or, or other um, groups that are trying to run someone with a non-female Irish-sounding name will add some kind of sham candidates, people who are running just because they have a good ballot name, as, as it's called. Is that practice um, legal? or It is. There's nothing that says you can't run if you don't really want to win, right? Um, so if you can get on the ballot, if you can get the requisite number of signatures, you're you're allowed to run. Um, it's certainly sneaky and I think plays off of the, the lack of information that a lot of uh, voters have about these races. So again, that's why we're hoping that, that our guide will help uh, raise the, the information level. So when folks head over to the website to look at the guide, how should they think about navigating it to collect information? Yeah, so the um, website uh, gives you a few different ways to find what judicial subcircuit you're in. That'll help you create a, 
ballot that's geared uh, specifically to you so that when you go into the polling booth, you know which races and, and which candidates you're going to see on the ballot. Um, and then you can click on the bios, look through the um, the information we've provided, look at the ratings, and then select the candidates that you're interested in. There's also a, an option to print out uh, a PDF once you've done that. So you can bring that into the booth with you and you know go prepared to, to vote for the judges that you're most interested in. So what will you be watching as we head into March 17th? Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see, um, again, what happens in that uh, the Supreme Court race. And, um, you know, I, I do think with each passing cycle, each time we do this guide, hopefully we raise the information level for, for voters. We're also on March 11th at our offices in downtown hosting a ballot party. So you can come learn more about the guide, um, fill it out, talk to some experts about, you know, what what really is the role of a judge? Um, you know, what do these uh, bar association ratings take into consideration? So we invite people out for that as well. That's Jonah Newman. He's editor at the reporting nonprofit and Justice Watch. We will tweet out a link to their 2020 interactive judicial election guide at WBEZ Reset. Jonah, thanks so much for speaking with us. Thanks so much for having me. Democrat Dan Lipinski has been Illinois' third congressional district representative for 15 years. Every two years, he's won re-election pretty handily. Then 2018 happened. Lipinski, a conservative Democrat, barely held off his more progressive primary challenger, Marie Newman. Well, Newman is back, and she's making a second attempt at winning the Democratic nomination for that third district seat. WBEZ reporter Mariah Wolfel has been covering that race, and she joins us now. Hi, Mariah. Hey, John. Incumbent Dan Lipinski is ideologically unique because he sometimes doesn't vote along party lines, mm-hmm. namely in regards to abortion, same-sex marriage, and the initial vote on the Affordable Care Act. Mm-hmm. How are those positions impacting his re-election bid? He's one of the most conservative Democrats in Congress. He's one of three that um, is is anti-abortion. His views have made him the target of progressive groups in 2018. And in this race, again, progressive groups in and outside of the district are just lining up their support behind Marie Newman. And if this wasn't an issue for voters in the district before, they are surely concerned about it now. It's been really just pushed to the forefront of this race. And it's turned this race into a larger question that we see, I think, on the national scale of whether or not the Democratic tent is big enough for conservative Democrats like Lipinski, who who oppose abortion. Here's what he has to say about that. When we are trying to defeat President Trump, it makes no sense for the Democratic Party to be pushing out pro-life voters. We cannot afford to be telling people that they're not wanted in the party. He says his ability to split with the party on things like abortion or health care make him an asset. Um, He's willing to work across the aisle and that we need more lawmakers like that right now. So as we mentioned, Lipinski's most notable challenger is Marie Newman of LaGrange, and she aligns with the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. She faced Lipinski in the midterms in 2018. Mm -hmm. She only lost um, by two percentage point. How was she able to make it so close last time around? Well, I think really pushing um, the fact that he's been in Congress for a very long time. And before that, his dad represented the district for decades. Um, She got the backing of some of Lipinski's own colleagues in 2018, Democratic representatives Jan Schakowsky and Luis Gutierrez. Um, She ran as the abortion rights candidate who more accurately represents this changing district. And like I said, she secured support from progressive and women's rights groups. She gained national attention um, so that I'm I'm sure 
uh, increased awareness and name recognition for her. And she spent one and a half million dollars on her campaign. Well, Lipinski's dominance in past elections would suggest that his constituents approve of his performance in Mm. Washington. Has that shifted over the years? I think it's hard to say. Voters I've spoken to can't really name specifics about his record, which I don't think is that's probably not uncommon for constituents to not be able to name, you know, specific laws or um, changes in the district. But they know that he has a good reputation of fighting for unions and fighting for transportation dollars in the district, which he is proud of. Um, he had support from most major unions in 2018, including and this year has support from Chicago Police and Fire uh, unions. But the people I've met who are switching from voting to, for, for Lipinski for years to now um, getting into the Newman camp just cite his long tenure and his conservative views, which are tenants that Newman has really pushed um, in the district. I spoke to a voter named Daniel Lane. He says Lipinski actually lost his support when earlier this year he sided with Republicans in urging the Supreme Court to reconsider the landmark abortion case Roe v. Wade. That was a bonehead move on his part. He lost my support. He lost the support of thousands of other Democrats because of uh, siding with Republicans. That was the uh, straw that broke the camel's back. I, I have no toleration for Republicans. I just think that's so interesting because he, that voter had known Lipinski's anti-abortion views every time he voted for him. But for him, it was really a lack of tolerance that has grown for Republicans in the past four years, he said, that made his tolerance for Lipinski's conservative Democratic views uh, less tolerable for him. So for Marie Newman, is her campaign framing this as, you know, shifting mm ideologies and and building a campaign on that? Or is it just about that it's time for something new in the district? Marie Newman would say that the ideas of the district and the values of the district have shifted. Um, This is historically a socially conservative, white, Polish district, but it has changed quite a bit. It's now 32 percent Hispanic. That's the second largest Hispanic constituency in the state. And experts say that growing diversity in the district is a threat to Lipinski's future. But, you know, it's hard to say how the the values of this district has been changing, but there are um, demographic shifts. So until 2018, Lipinski had beaten his Democratic primary challengers. Is there a reason to believe Newman has some momentum behind her at this point? She's tripled her volunteer pool. She's raised just over a million dollars this campaign cycle, according to the the latest figures. But there are other candidates in the primary race this time, unlike in 2018, that could split this anti-Lipinski base that she's built. Rush Darwish and Charles Hughes, they're both painting themselves as moderates and, you know, kind of a nice in-between between a conservative Democrat and a progressive Democrat. Newman is excited about the presidential election and thinks that turnout might help her. But Lipinski also says that he learned a lot from 2018 and that he's grown his ground operations, has been knocking on a lot more doors and trying to communicate what his what he's done for the district and his record to constituents much more so than he did in 2018. Well, and how much are the presidential campaigns of people like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, who are running on very progressive platforms, how much is that having an impact? 
impact on on a congressional race like this one? Well, she definitely has Newman definitely has the support of those politicians that you name both Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders have both endorsed her as well as Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Gloria Lightfoot. All high profile people who have benefited from painting themselves as the opposition to the status quo. And Newman certainly uh, enjoys being tied to those folks. I think here she is. I have learned that people want positive change and they want to get rid of the toxicity of the machine. Um, The Lipinski family is the epitome of the machine. And I think that we learned with the Lori Lightfoot race that it's possible. So, you know, just just a year ago, Lightfoot beat the Democratic establishment candidate in that race and rode that progressive wave into City Hall. And so I I think Newman sees that as a sign of hope. She hopes that momentum carries her into office as well. So whoever comes out on top in the primary election, there's still a general election to win. So who are the Republican challengers? Yeah, there are three primary candidates on the Republican side, a local county commissioner, Mike Frizzalone, a real estate broker, Catherine O'Shea, and then someone... You may have heard about his name's Art Jones. He's a former member of the Nazi Party. He is running again in 2020. In 2018, um, the state GOP failed to find someone to run against him. So he went all the way to the general election, which made national headlines. And voters are still kind of uh, reeling from that. Republican voters who are still upset that he, one, is on the ballot this year and two, was their only choice last year. Of course, they're excited to have other candidates. Um, But I talked to this 21-year-old named Eric Roche at a forum for the GOP candidates. Here's what he had to say. It was an embarrassment not only to the local Republican parties, it was an embarrassment to the Illinois Republican Party for not putting a candidate out there, that they were just given up that much. I thought it was a real indication that it's time for some leadership changes in the Illinois Republican Party. The GOP says it's hard to get people to run in this Democratic district. I think Eric's happy to have a couple alternatives to Art Jones this year. That's WBEZ reporter Mariah Wolfel talking with us about the Democratic primary race in Illinois' 3rd Congressional District. Mariah, thanks. Thanks, Jen. And that's today's Reset. Come back tomorrow for more conversations about Chicago and the region. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and let's talk again soon.